0: Welcome to the Real Time Roots podcast. I'm Chris DL, and this is my co-host Sarah. Hello everyone. At Joy Bully, we help you grow your own food and medicine so that you can create health and wellness for you and your loved one naturally. In today's show, we're going to be talking about food security. But before we begin, I want to tell you a story. Last week, I was in the grocery store in the city. I don't shop at the grocery store in the city very often, but we went to the city and I went to my favorite kind of what you would call a whole foods market. And as we were checking out at the till, the cashier, Linda, I'll call her, was confiding in me that she was growing a garden this year because she was going to preserve as much food as possible. Now, what's interesting about that is Linda's not a friend of mine. I don't know her very well, but she actually delayed the person behind me to confide in me that she was preserving as much food as possible this year. Now, you've probably heard that the supply chains are breaking down. Ever since March of 2022, when we had the great toilet paper crisis, we have been seeing breaks in the supply chain with empty spaces on the shelf or stores telling us we can only buy one. March
1: of 2020. Did I say 22? Yeah, you said 2022.
0: Right. March of 2020. I stand corrected. Sarah's correct. Um, So ever since March of 2020 and the great toilet paper shortage, we have been seeing supply chain breakdowns. Now, there's more happening, though, in the late 2021 and this year, 2022, we're seeing fires, we're hearing about fires in food distribution facilities. I think at this point, there's been 98 fires in food distribution facilities from egg-laying farms to uh, places where food is sorted and even dry goods and prepper supplies. And we're also seeing animal diseases causing culling of flocks. There's been diseases in poultry. There's been diseases in uh, pork. And they're not just happening in, you know, one state or one province or even one country. They're worldwide. And so it's very concerning. We're also seeing natural disasters like heat waves, drought, and flooding that are affecting when farmers are able to plant their crops, and therefore the subsequent harvest of the crops. They're expecting a huge decrease in grain supplies, corn supplies, soybean supplies coming into the harvest season this fall,
1: and so everyone is concerned about food security. This year we're also unseasonably cold just in our area and that's delayed the planting of the summer crops and is also going to delay the fruiting of the summer crops like the t- just the tomatoes, melons, corn, cucumbers, peppers and all of those, they're going to be delayed because of how unseasonably cold it's been. Our river nearby is still in high flood stage and there is still snow on the mountains nearby. We haven't had the full melt
0: yet late June, that's really unusual, really unusual for the snow not to be melted yet. Um, Other places, though, in North America and in Europe are seeing unseasonably hot weather. So I believe the storm season came earlier than normal uh, in the east, and places that normally are just sort of moderate spring weather are seeing really, really high heat waves already and it's still June as we're recording this. The other issue that affects the food security and food supply is inflation that we're experiencing. Bread is up 12% according to Stats Canada and I'm just talking Canada. The U.S. seems to be in the same situation though and Europe also is seeing an increase in food commodity prices, and food in the grocery store. So bread is up 12%. Meat is up 10%. Unusually, spaghetti and macaroni are up 19.5%. Coffee is up 14%. And then when you start looking at fuel on top of food, um, natural gas is up 22%. Gas and home heating is up 64%. And vehicle gas is up 40%. In places in the States, they're seeing gas at over $7 a gallon. And here in Canada, gas is sold by the liter, and we're seeing gas upwards of $2.25 a liter. To put it in perspective, uh, a liter is very close to a quart, so four liters are very close to a gallon. So at $2.25 a gallon, uh, we're looking at $9 that's Canadian dollars, though, so pretty close to the 7 750 U.S. So why is it important? Why should we care about food security? Well, lack of food security for children, and about 40% of the households who are experiencing food security are households with children. You know, our future our future citizens, our future government, our future business people, our future teachers and doctors and tradespeople are children right now. And those children, when they experience food insecurity, um, it affects all aspects of their life. For instance, a 2005 study in the Journal of Nutrition found that among 6 to 12-year-old children, food insufficiency or insecurity was associated with poor mathematics scores, poor reading scores, and even school failure, absenteeism, tardiness, and visits to psychologists, anxiety, aggression, depression, psychosocial dysfunction, and problems getting along with other kids. When those same children get to be teenagers, food insecurities is associated with major depression and even suicide. Girls who experience food insecurity were three and a half times more likely to be overweight than their peers, and that can lead to lifelong health consequences like diabetes and heart disease and all of the social and self-acceptance that that can lead to. So food insecurity with kids is a pretty serious thing that we want to help with and deal with. If you're just getting started thinking about using herbs to make something so that you can feel better and start to tap into the natural wellness, I've got the perfect course for you. My course, the Inspiring Botanical Drinks Mixers and Elixirs course. In this video course, you'll learn how to make healthy beverages that will help you break away from sodas and sugary drinks or plain boring water. Even if you have a two or three soda a day habit. Even if the kids are home and you keep running out of ice and ideas. Even if you struggle to get enough fluids in your body because of the heat. Even if you are watching your macros, your carbs, or your waistline. Even if you have food sensitivities or allergies. And even if the rising price of food and drink has you making tough decisions about where to cut costs. If you are making more food at home and watching your budget, but go to the same bottled beverages day in and day out, this class will inspire you to up your game in the beverage category with healthy and creative options that are also kind to your budget. So have a look at the Inspiring Botanical Drinks Mixers and Elixirs class. You'll find the link in the show notes.
1: With the increase in food prices as well as the disruption we have had in employment over the last few years since 2020, there has also been an increase in the food bank usage in Canada. The City of Toronto specifically saw a 47% increase in the food bank use within the last year, most of it coming from new clients. The last time there was an increase like this was in 2010, which was just after the peak of the 2008 recession, and this increase, the most recent one, is 1.5 times greater than the increase after 2008. So with people looking for food from wherever they can get it, including the food bank, it indicates that we have a lot more families within Canada at the very least that are more food insecure than in previous years.
0: The other issue with the food bank, now Toronto is Canada's um, largest city, and so other cities in Canada are seeing similar, if not exactly the same, statistics, and I believe what I read showed that the similar s- statistics were happening in large cities in the U.S. as well. What's significant about it, though, is that the food bank isn't just feeding more people, the cost of the food that the food bank needs to feed the people that are coming, this increase um, is also higher priced because of inflation. So it's kind of a double whammy. There's there's high unemployment rate now or people that were working and now aren't working. And plus, you've got the inflation. So the cost of the food is higher. And so food banks, because of that, aren't getting the same donations that they were getting before the pandemic began. And another thing that's happening, according to CPA Canada, is that more people are actually budgeting the food bank help into their family monthly budget, because they can't make it on their own. And that's a serious marker of what's going on with food security in Canada, in the US, and similarly in other countries in the world
1: there's also the challenge that the food bank food is often not the healthiest it's often boxed pre-made mixes stuff like hamburger helper craft dinner and sometimes canned fruits and vegetables but usually most frequently uh canned legumes is very common to be donated so they don't have a ton of fresh fruits or vegetables coming into the food banks. So even though people can somewhat rely on the food bank to help with food insecurity, it's not the healthiest food available.
0: That's right. That's right. And and therefore leads to problems like um, obesity and diabetes and heart conditions because nutrition is so important for good health. And so you have like a um, a spiral of, poor food, and then health consequences of that poor food. Now, we've been talking about the problems, and we've been talking about how food security is so important, and we've shown... The evidence that there are an increase in people who have food insecurity and why that might be a problem but what can we do about it Sarah is there anything that can be done about the overwhelming food insecurity that people are experiencing do you have any suggestions
1: well number one suggestion is pull in the food focus to what's available locally Don't focus on the grocery stores or the supply chains that can be disrupted by ships getting stuck in the Suez Canal and stuff like that. Pull into what's local and what's around you. In our small town, we have many farms. We have orchards. We have beef farmers, pork farmers, poultry farmers. We have local food producers. And most areas, even large cities, will have local food producers that are nearby. So one of the first things to do is to start looking locally because your local food sources have a little bit of protection from inflation if they can sell locally because they don't need to foot the cost of shipping to major centers. And if you can cut out the middlemen who jack up prices, you can get stuff that at the very least is better quality, not trucked as far, and is going to be around the same price as what you're paying in the grocery store. Sometimes slightly cheaper.
0: Can can you give us some examples?
1: Well, ground beef in the grocery store right now is creeping up in the $6.50 to $7 a pound range, and the grass-fed beef that is being sold locally for ground beef is $7 a pound.
0: So you're actually saving?
1: You're actually at least saving an environmental cost for it. It's about the same price per pound and may as well support the local rancher or farmer. However, What you can't get in the grocery store is stuff like um, organ meat, tongue, heart, etc. And you can get that for five bucks a pound from the local farmers. So if you don't mind getting a little bit creative with your cooking or learning how to cook stronger flavored muscles like heart and tongue, then you can actually get more food for a lower cost. I actually discovered that heart is surprisingly tasty.
0: So what you're telling me is you're being more creative with your cooking because of the high cost of food right now. And you're you're trying out some things you never tried before, like heart and tongue.
1: And liver. It made a surprisingly tasty beef stroganoff variation.
0: Interesting. That's, that's how my mother used to cook liver. She used to um, use mushroom soup. Oh, dear. Sorry, Justin. Mushrooms again. My mother used to put, cook the, fry the liver and then cook it with mushroom soup. And then we always had uh, liver and mushroom soup and rice. And um, even then, I didn't like liver. Sorry, but um, kind of like beef stroganoff. But it was way better than my father-in-law used to eat liver with onions. And I think the liver with mushroom soup is better than liver with onions.
1: Okay, so what I did was cook the liver with onions and then add the mushroom soup.
0: I think as an adult, I would like that. As a child, I didn't. But
1: Yeah, the baby wasn't very impressed. But she liked
0: the mushroom
1: soup part. (laughs) I think so. Um,
0: You know, interesting talking about local food sources. Uh, We had a flood in British Columbia in November. It was so bad. um, It was, what did they call it, um, what was the word they used? Atmospheric um, river. Right. Thank you. Yes, it was an atmospheric river. I never heard the term before. And they they talked about it as if we should just expect this uh, going forward. And it, it was so bad that it took out local bridges, uh, local rail bridges, local highways, and it was the most serious disaster that I've ever seen. You'd think that we were living in a war zone. It completely cut off the supply chain. And so where we live, we couldn't get gas or groceries or anything in or out for about, uh, well, it was about a week before they rerouted things through a different way. And we live about six hour, a six-hour drive away from the serious part where the disaster actually happened. We just happened to be in the same province. But my son lived in Chilliwack and his city was actually completely cut off from the entire rest of Canada by this natural disaster. They couldn't leave and they couldn't get in. And for about a month, they were stranded, kind of as if their city had become, it's a very small town city. It had become like an island. They couldn't get food in. A couple of days after the disaster happened, the grocery stores are actually closed in the middle of the day with a lineup outside because they started running out of food. And so they just locked their doors with people waiting outside. And some people actually broke down the door to get in to see what food they did still have because there was nothing. But my son told me that the local farm store continued to have food and never ran out of food the whole month that the grocery stores couldn't get any food supply in. The local farm still had food and could still serve people. A lot of people didn't know about the farm store, though. They just thought there is no food, and so they went without, whereas the people that knew about the farm store were able to continue to get milk, continue to get eggs, continue to get meat and vegetables from the farm store in November.
1: Well, the cow, cows and chickens wouldn't have stopped producing.
0: Right, right. And they couldn't ship them to market because they were cut off. So there was actually lots of food. But the people that were dependent on the grocery store didn't know. And uh, I'm hoping that it went by word of mouth. Here in our community, when we were cut off at the same time, there's a local cheese dairy. And they continued to have milk. And they continued to have yogurt and cheese and all of their produce. And again, the grocery stores ran out of milk. The grocery stores ran out of cheese and butter, but the local farm stores still had food and were still selling food and at quite reasonable prices. So the lesson there is that if you have already got a relationship with the local farm stores, the local on-farm vegetable stands, dairies, uh, meat farms... If a disaster happens or if there's food security in your area, you still have a source of food. And so it's really important right now before disaster happens to make those relationships with your local farmer, with your farm stores. Um, You know, get to know them by name. Let them know what you're looking for ahead of time so that if there's a disaster or if you become dependent locally because the supply chain is cut off or because there's gaps in the supply chain, you have a relationship already there. Another aspect of thinking locally about your food is that it's healthier to eat seasonally. When you eat local food in a lot of places in North America, you can't get. Bananas or oranges or tropical fruits year round. And so it's really important to start to like the food that's available seasonally. For instance, here in Canada um, and in a lot of places in the northern parts of the world, the food that's available in winter are things like cabbages and broccoli and Brussels sprouts and carrots and root vegetables, turnips, um, kale. Those are available in the winter, but You're not going to get the summer fruits like tomatoes. And so if you can adjust your eating to seasonal eating, you get higher quality of food and also more nutrition, more vitamins and minerals in your food if you eat seasonally.
1: When I lived in Israel, the grocery stores, as well as the uh, Shuk, the outdoor market, was 90% seasonal. If you came in when it wasn't strawberry season, you did not get strawberries, even frozen. If you came in when it wasn't cherry season, you did not get cherries. So North America is sort of a bit of an anomaly that we don't eat seasonally. Because many of the other nations and cultures of the world do still focus on the seasonal eating.
0: There was a couple in Vancouver several years ago, Aly- Alyssa Smith and J.D. McKinnon, who uh, challenged themselves to eat only local food, food that had been grown within a hundred miles of their home near Vancouver, and their idea of eating locally kind of took off, and it became a movement. And so now you've probably heard of the hundred mile diet. Now they took it to the extreme because it was kind of a, it was kind of an experiment to see if they could do it. So they actually went to the chicken farmer and said, "Where does your feed come from for your chickens?" And if the feed didn't come from within a hundred miles, then they didn't want the eggs that were grown within a hundred miles. So it was kind of the extreme, and we're not suggesting that, um, but we are suggesting that you think more locally and that you do think about what is growing around you. And we're going to talk a little bit later about what you can do to find out what's growing around you to be able to uh, tap into that, um, because that's what's going to be there when. You know, if things go completely south, if there's war, if there's other supply chain issues, um, or if, if food just gets so expensive that it's too hard to afford it, then your local food is going to be where you can find food security. And that 100-mile diet, it's kind of impressive. I'd, I wouldn't personally want to do that because I would really miss my coffee and there's just no way that coffee is going to grow locally in Canada, at least not as much as I want. I think I'd miss chocolate too. But other too. than those things, you too? <laughs> other than those things, there are a lot of things that we can really celebrate that grow locally, um, even in Canada and even in our our part of Canada, which is very cold in winter.
1: Well, we even have the... Um one distillery from up in Nelson Way that's local to us, and they produce the alcohol from local fruit. So we wouldn't have to give up alcohol.
0: There is that. But I think if you really needed to, you could figure it out.
1: True enough. Shall we talk about farmer's markets?
0: What about farmer's markets? I know you're excited about farmer's markets because you're selling at the market this year. Tell us about your view of farmer's markets.
1: Well, it's one of the easiest ways to meet local farmers, and you can encounter the full range of local producers people who make jams and jellies from local fruit. And then, of course, you have the people who are just selling their surplus. They may just have like a backyard tree for cherries or apples or something, but they'll show up to the market once or twice in the year to just sell their surplus. And then you'll also encounter the full-fledged farms who have several acres of fruit trees, plus vegetables, plus everything else that they're growing. So the farmer's market is a great way to meet your local producers, to talk to them, to get to know them, and to develop relationships. I'm actually looking forward to some of my favorite farms starting to show up at the market because it's always fun to chat with the people who I've known since I started doing the market when I was 10.
0: I was just thinking about that, Sarah, when you were talking. You grew up doing the farmer's market, being in our booth when we were selling at the farmer's market. Farmer's market's also a great place to meet your friends and to to really connect um, on a personal level. Head down to the farmer's market, meet, grab a coffee, and uh, talk about the real issues that are going on in the world without that uh, social media filter. Um, another great thing about farmer's markets is they're almost you can, at least depending on the market, you can get almost every kind of food. You can get um, fruits, you can get vegetables, beef, pork, chicken, and some farmer's markets even have dairy. And so all the important foods that are part of good nutrition and healthy lifestyles are available in the farmer's market. What you won't and find fish. there are... And fish, right. I never thought of fish. Um, And mushrooms. Don't forget mushrooms. The last time I was at the market, they had wild mushrooms. Somebody had picked Morel mushrooms and brought them to the market. And I did bring home some. Very fun. The other thing about the market is you never know what you're going to find there because everything's seasonal. You might go and somebody brought in a fresh picked that morning box of corn or Mushrooms or garlic, or you never know what you're going to find. And because of that, it's really important to have a plan of what you're going to do for food preservation. And we're going to talk more about that in another episode of the Real Time Roots podcast. But um, I just want to put that out there. It's because you want to have a plan when you bring the food home on how you're going to preserve it. Sarah, you're involved in something to do with the farmer's market here in British Columbia called the Market Nutrition Coupon Program, and I'm curious about that. Could you give us some information about the Nutrition Coupon Program and how it works?
1: Uh, The BC Farmers Market Nutrition Coupon Program is done both through, I might classify it as um, parental support groups. Um, In our community, we have a group called Baby's Best Chance, and it's done through that as well as through the local food bank. And basically, you get a weekly sheet of coupons to use at the farmer's market. It's the easiest way to describe it. In 2020 and 2021, it was around $21 a week and it ran for 16 weeks. And this year, they've bumped it up to $27 a week. They added coupons for honey or that were able to be used for honey. And most of the coupons are to be used with fruits and vegetables. I think there's about $18 for fruits and vegetables per week, $6 for meat and eggs that can also be used for fruits and vegetables if you need to, and then $3 a week that has the ability to be used for meat, eggs, or honey, as well as all the vegetables and fruit. And you can also pick up um, vegetable plants with the coupons if you want to, if it's the right time of year for that. Our coupons in our local community just came out right before they stopped bringing plants to the market, so we had one week where we could pick up plants with the coupons if we needed to. And pretty much people are picking up their coupons either from the food bank or from whatever other organization they got on the program with. You can only be on the program through one organization. And they like keeping track of it, it's basically to help people with food security and to make sure that... They're getting fresh fruits and vegetables when they're in season. With the uh, program I'm with through it, they recommend actually using the coupon to help you buy food to preserve for the winter, like the corn when it's in season, tomatoes to make tomato sauce, etc., so that you're getting the benefit for more than just the few months of the market.
0: And so have you actually done that? Have you used the coupons to buy food to preserve for winter?
1: I actually still have a gallon bag of corn from two years ago that I'm working on using up before corn season this year. And I did do some canning of tomato sauce last year with the coupons, despite having a, uh eight-month-old. So I do try to use it for some preserving uh, last year was mostly for fresh eating and only a little bit for preserving. This year I'm hoping to do more preserving. Actually, I still have some ground beef that I bought last year with the coupons. <gasps> that was when it was $6 a pound. Now it's $7 a pound, which is actually more than a 10% jump locally. And they're actually having smaller profit margins now, despite bringing up the prices, because the cost for the abattoir has increased.
0: And the, and the cost of gas.
1: Yeah. Yep. They've shrunk their margins.
0: Farmers all over, they're seeing their costs increase, but they're not seeing the the price increase that they're getting for sales. Um, so it's that's an even more important reason to support your local farmers because they're really feeling the pinch with the huge uptick in the cost of gas. Yeah, and your local your local stores as well. The other thing that I really like about the farmers' market is that you can pay cash. Some of the grocery stores um, during the COVID crisis refused to take cash. They said that it was germy and um, there was spread disease and and they didn't want to take cash. But at the farmer's market, you can still pay for things with cash. And I think cash is really important right now. It's one of the ways that we assert our um, independence and freedom is by using cash. And so I think that that's just as an aside, I think that's a really good benefit of shopping at the farmer's market. There's another program that's uh, local and that also is supportive of food security and that's a gleaners program. A lot of Communities have gleaners programs, and they look differently because there's not an overarching, um, like the food bank, there's an overarching national food bank program. There is not an overarching national gleaners program, so every community has, or region has, their own type of gleaners program. Now, what's a gleaners program? The idea of gleaners comes from the biblical idea that you should harvest your field, but not right to the edges, and that you should leave some for the poor. And so that's where the concept of Gleaners comes from. That's not necessarily what the Gleaners programs are. In the Okanagan and British Columbia, there's a Gleaners program where they go to the local farms and as, as a group of volunteers, and they pick the farm field, whatever's left over after the harvest has come in, And then they take that to a central facility, they prepare it, they dehydrate it, they make soup mixes and fruit mixes and send it overseas for food relief for other countries. But there's also gleaners programs where they do something similar. A group of volunteers goes to a farmer's field, gleans the fruits or vegetables and then they divide up the harvest. Some goes to the food bank, some the person who did the gleaning gets to take home and some of it goes to other programs. So what the Gleaners program looks like changes depending on who is organizing it. Uh, my, my daughter-in-law is part of a Gleaners program in the Lower Mainland, and she lives in Langley, and in the lower mainland, they have a gleaners program where people go as a group of volunteers and maybe they glean some backyard trees or maybe they glean a farmer's field or an orchard and then they get to some of the food goes, I think it's 50% goes to the food bank and 50% gets divided among the volunteers. And she was able to um, get apples that way and get fruit that way that she could then preserve for the winter. And if you don't have a Gleaners program in your area, there's no reason why you can't be the person who starts one. Uh, And I think that's really important. All the things we're saying, if you don't have something like this in your area, you can be the one who starts it. It doesn't have to come from the government. We can make the solutions we want to have in our communities. If you are ready to start on your herbal journey to get to know herbs and make your own medicine, I've got the perfect next step for you. My membership, the DIY Herb of the Month Club, will help you get to know your herbal allies by studying one herb at a time. And we make a game of it. You will go on a 30-day journey with an assignment to do every day that will only take you 10 or 15 minutes. You'll go on a monthly quest to build your confidence so that you can learn to rely on your herbal allies. You'll invest just five to 15 minutes a day of hands-on guided exercises to gain knowledge of each month's herbal ally. You'll also learn how to grow, forage, or find each month's herb. You'll study the historical context of the medicinal and or culinary uses of each herb. You'll create a personal Materia Medica for long-term reference. You'll also study the modern scientific studies and evaluate their methodology and conclusions. And you'll engage your senses both logically and intuitively to get to know each herb really, really well so that you can use it confidently. So stir up some recipes with me and start using your new herbal allies for focused hands-on learning inside the DIY Herb of the Month Club. So I hope you'll decide to join me. The link is in the show notes. Now there's one other solution for food security that we haven't talked about. Do you know what that
1: is? Grow it yourself.
0: Grow it yourself.
1: If you have food that's in your own backyard, you know what it is, you know when it's going to be ready, and you can preserve it. Examples of that can be growing your own some of your own tomatoes, or even all of them if you have space. It could be planting a nut tree in your backyard, like a hazelnut, or a filbert, or maybe a chestnut, or a walnut tree. It could simply be switching out some decorative bushes for bushes that will produce fruit. There are a lot of ways to start growing even just a few things yourself to help increase your food security, and that includes mushrooms. What? I just had mushrooms on the brain.
0: <laughs> One of the things about growing it yourself, you get to choose what you plant, and you can focus on the food that your family likes. So if, if your family loves watermelon or cantaloupe, you can grow as much as your garden will hold. If you never have enough lettuce, you can grow lettuce. Whatever your family loves to eat, you can focus on that food and make sure that you have variety Um, When I go to the grocery store, for instance, we we eat a lot of lettuce in the summer. But when I go to the grocery store, I'm pretty much limited to romaine lettuce, one kind of green leaf lettuce, and uh, maybe a head, what are they called? Iceberg lettuce. But when I grow it myself, I can have burgundy colored lettuce. I can have lettuce that has burgundy with a green tinge. I can have lettuce that has a green tinge with burgundy. I can have romaine lettuce. I can have butter lettuce. I can have leaf lettuce. And I can put flowers in my salad like pansies and bee balm and rose petals. Nasturtiums. And nasturtiums. They're pretty spicy. You can put flowers in your salad. You can put your own herbs, fresh herbs in your salad. And there are things that you can grow yourself that just make life happy and the table setting happy that you totally don't get if the only thing you do is get groceries at the grocery store. And especially when we're seeing inflation, I mean, going to the grocery store can bring stress right now. But when you grow it yourself, you have happy instead of stress.
1: Last year, with the high heat, the unseasonally high heat we had, my lettuce that I planted bolted. And so I didn't get lettuce last year from my garden. But I let that bolted lettuce go to seed, and I am literally overwhelmed with volunteer lettuce this year. It is amazing lettuce, and it's even growing. In my rocky landscaping that's pure rock.
0: That's like free food.
1: Exactly. Wonderful. So even though last year's lettuce didn't work out, this year I have amazing heads of romaine, mini heads of romaine type lettuce everywhere. That is so
0: cool. Very cool. That was a pun. Did you get it? That was a pun. Lettuce likes cool weather. I made a pun. (sighs) Hmm. very good. So we have been talking about food security and eating local as a solution to food insecurity. And now we're coming down to the part of our show where we talk about specifics that you can do in order to solve food insecurity right now. So the first thing we want to talk about is something that you can do right now. And that's Go visit your local farmer's market and talk to to the farmers. Talk to people that are there. Make connections. And then what I want you to do is actually ask people for their phone numbers or their emails so that you can make a personal contact list. Ask for names. Ask for business cards. Ask for phone numbers so that you start taking an inventory of what's available locally to you. So that even if you don't have a garden, or even if you're a brand new gardener and you're not sure whether your garden's going to work out, you still have a source of local food that you can rely on. Another thing along that same line is, as the vendors at the farmer's market, the farmers or the craftspeople get to know you, and know what you're doing, why you're there, what you're looking for, they'll start saving stuff for you. I remember when we did the farmer's market, there was a couple of guys with an organic farm that was a couple hours away from us that grew peaches. And we can't grow peaches in our valley because we're just a little bit too cold. And they grew peaches and they would save a box of peaches. They didn't want to drive back to where they lived with it because it would get bruised in the car and they wouldn't be able to sell it. So they would save it for us at the end of the day and then they'd give us a discount on it because they knew that we would make jam or we would can it. And so we had a use for this box of peaches. And so as the farmers get to know you and know whether you're a preserver, whether you can, whether you do dehydration, whether you make jam, they will start saving stuff for you. And then when you go, you know, you have that personal relationship. And that's so valuable because they, they'll call you by name and they'll say, hey, I saved this for you. And it just makes you feel so special that they cared. Another thing that can help you with food security is learning the skills. And I really want to emphasize that it's very important to learn these skills now before you're desperately in need of them so that you have time to make mistakes and so that your, your entire family food security isn't dependent on a skill that you never learned. So this is the year to grow a garden, even if you've only got a few pots to start with. Learn the skills now. Make your mistakes now so that if you are 100% dependent on growing your own fruits and vegetables, you know how to do it and you're confident. Other skills besides gardening that we've sort of touched on here is the skills for food preservation. And there's lots of methods of food preservation like fermentation and dehydrating and canning and pressure canning. And what have I missed, Sarah? Um, Root cellaring freezing but those those things take some skills there there are sort of step by step ways to do it that you don't want to mess up you want to make sure you get every step so that you have safe food and so that your food actually has the nutritional value that you want it to have that's why we talk about the rule of 3 and the rule of 3 means you want to have some redundancy in your food preservation or any preparedness skill. You want to make sure that you're not just hundred percent relying on your freezer. You want to have some food in the freezer, sure, to make it convenient, but then you also want to have some canning, maybe some dehydrating, so that you have something to fall back on if you lose one aspect. I heard of somebody that they had dehydrated all their food, And they put them in mylar bags with oxygen absorbers and then they stuck it in a plastic bucket and they buried the bucket in the ground. Now what happens with plastic buckets when they're buried in the ground is there's a chemical reaction between the ground and the plastic bucket and the plastic bucket will fill with water. And they lost everything that they had put in that bucket because it was no longer dry and it was dehydrated food. So it's really important that you understand the skills and that you don't make major mistakes because there are step-by-step processes. There are books that can help you learn these skills. There's also um, some courses online that you can take that can help you learn the skills. And what we recommend is you pick one. Pick one food preservation method to learn this year. And then next year, pick another food preservation method to learn. You don't have to learn it all right now. And I have a book, The Dehydrating Cookbook for Beginners is what it's called. And it can help you step-by-step step learn how to dehydrate food safely for food storage. And there's also other methods of food preservation that you can learn. Food storage is also, it's a different skill than food preservation. You'll want to learn that too.
1: And along with learning how to maybe grow food or and preserve the food you grow, After you've stored it then you got to learn how to cook it. So cooking from scratch is a very very valuable skill to learn if you are concerned about food insecurity and food security because it doesn't help to have 100 pounds of wheat berries sitting in a can if you don't know how to cook with wheat berries or you don't know how to turn the wheat into bread. And the same thing can go for any type of food storage whether that's rice beans, dried strawberries, dried bananas, dried peppers, tomatoes, canned tomatoes, any food type that you can grow or preserve in any way that you preserve it, you will want to learn how to cook with it. So cooking from scratch is a very, very valuable skill. And the most valuable thing you can do right now, even today, is to grow something so that you can start learning, whether that's growing a tomato plant or a basil plant, Grow something so that you can start learning, because growing one thing means that you'll be working on the gardening skills, and when you get the harvest from that, you can start working on learning the food preservation and the food storage and how to cook with what you grow, and it all ties together to make you more food secure.
0: And when you cook from scratch, you also save money. Because most of the food that you buy that's already cooked for you, the packaged food, you're paying a premium for that to get somebody else to do the work. So you're going to save money and that's going to give you a bit of a cushion from the inflation we're seeing if you're cooking from scratch.
1: And you'll also get more nutrition.
0: And better nutrition, right? And less salt and sugar as well. I noticed when I make my own salad dressing, for instance, I'm only using usually fresh herbs, oil and vinegar, olive oil usually, and usually balsamic vinegar or cider vinegar, all healthy oils, healthy vinegars and fresh herbs. And when uh, I buy grocery store salad dressing, I'm getting the rancid um, chemical oils like canola oil or soybean oil. And I'm not getting healthy vinegar. I'm just getting white vinegar and usually not fresh herbs. So even just salad dressing, you're going to save money, and you're going to get better nutrition making it from scratch. So in this episode of the Real Time Roots podcast, we talked about food security, the challenges that we're facing in society, that's causing food insecurity and also what you can do about it to mitigate the food insecurity and give yourself a bit of a cushion from the inflation we're seeing. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about where to find food when the shelves are empty. But before we go, I want you to take this one action that we talked about. I want you to take an inventory of the local farms, local farmers, the local food sources that are near you. And also in thinking about gardening, food preservation, food storage, and cooking from scratch, decide what one thing you still need to learn and take the first step in learning that whether it's gardening or something to do with food preservation or something to do with cooking, take the first step this week. Thank you for listening to the Real-Time Roots podcast. Thank you, Sarah, for helping me with this episode. As always, please share, like, subscribe, and don't forget to visit the links that are in the show notes. Thanks very much for joining us. Bye-bye.